Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Jana Panaritis, and you're listening to the AgeWise podcast, where we give you strategies for aging well and wisely. And how do you do that when on top of struggling to meet the demands of your own life, you're also caring for an aging parent or a spouse, or maybe you're caring for another member of your family? Well, we're here to help. Each week, we'll hear from the experts, professionals in the field of aging, and people like you, unsung heroes rising to the occasion of caring for a loved one and finding unexpected rewards along the way. So stick around for some straight talk on aging in all its unpredictable glory. The philosopher Plato said, music is a moral law. It gives soul to the universe, wings to the mind, flight to the imagination, a charm to sadness, gaiety and life to everything. It is the essence of order and lends to all that is good and just and beautiful. Well, our guest today is a practitioner of that philosophy. Her name is Brie Bynan, and she's a board-certified music therapist, and she's also the managing partner of the Palm Beach Music Therapy Institute. Brie and her colleagues use music to cultivate health and wellness in a variety of populations, among them people living with Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia, and individuals with age-related illnesses. I can't wait to hear more about this organization. Brie Bynan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here. I'd like to give the listeners, I'd like to put this in context for the listeners by having you tell them a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and how you found your way to Florida. Absolutely. So I uh, originally am from outside of Toronto, but I grew up in upstate New York uh, in the Finger Lakes. So a very rural area, very uh, very different than living in South Florida now. I had uh, always music in my life. So, you know, started as as most people do when they're young and piano lessons and all of that, uh, which was not my calling by any means. <laughs> but thankfully, through my mom's support, you know, found my way into singing and just fell in love with this idea of um, using your voice as your primary instrument and, and getting to share yourself in ways and, and as you kind of grow up and move through school and adolescence and all of that, that there's lots of awkward moments, and, and especially if you don't excel in sports and, and other things, this idea that music always loves you and always, <laughs> um, and you just have this voice you can share. I mean, it just, it changed my whole life. And um, so I knew I wanted to do something with that the rest of my life, not really knowing exactly what that meant. Um, but my mom, she worked as a CNA as I was growing up and then owned her own home care business. So I would go to work with her from a young age. And then as I got older, started picking up more responsibilities as a companion and helping in different ways. So again, I, I knew I wanted to do something with music, but I also wanted something in the helper profession. So uh, just doing a quick kind of Google search for a senior project in high school, I came across music therapy, which I had never heard of before. And, you know, did my senior project on what music therapy was, who the AMTA is, which is the American Music Therapy Association. And amazingly saw that there was a college offering this program in you know, 30 minutes from my house in Rochester, New York. So it was uh, very fortunate to be able to get into that program and just knew immediately that I was in the right spot, mm-hmm. again, to have the opportunity to combine, you know, my love of music and also use it as a tool to reach and connect and comfort others was just it was perfect. So I uh, did several practicums while I was in school, working with different ages, 
you know, working with uh, geriatrics, working with kids, working in a psych hospital, working in hospice care, mm-hmm. and kind of got a, a wide idea from there of, of what I really wanted to focus in and, and what that ended up being was hospice. That was definitely something that spoke to me. So mm-hmm. I came down here to South Florida about eight years ago for an internship, which was required for my degree program with, at that time, Hospice of Palm Beach County, now they're Trustbridge, and who has had, and I believe still has, one of the largest, if not the largest, organizational music therapy program. There was 10 music therapists, I believe, at the time, which is a huge opportunity as some entire states have maybe one or two music therapists mm-hmm. to have 10 at one department. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. So Where I did you say that internship my, was? At Hospice of Palm Beach County, Hospice, which is now okay. Trustbridge. Okay. Health. Yeah, so they still have a program there, a very strong program. I, I did my internship, and then I ended up working there for four years, and I loved it. I felt like I got an amazing background in, in the healthcare field and, and working with so many different individuals, but always felt like I wanted to learn that next step about growing a business and kind of working for myself and creating opportunities for others. So I left to go into private practice about four years ago and, you know, now work with, uh, as you mentioned in your amazing uh, lead-in introduction, thank you for that, mm-hmm. um, individuals of all different ages and, and stages of, of both health and wellness. So I feel very fortunate. So you said earlier, just to go back for a moment, that your mom was a CNA? Yes. Oh. So, well, at the time, RNA what they call registered nurses assistants, but... In New York? In Rochester? In New York. Okay. Yep. For yeah, most of the people yeah, who listen yep. to this show know that CNA means certified nursing assistant, but just in case they don't, for our listeners, CNA is certified nursing yeah. assistant. And so that sounds like it had a big influence on you. And then she started her own home care company. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Growing well, up around that. Absolutely. Absolutely had a big influence. In addition to that, my grandparents operated a business which is still running furniture and appliance business in the same town hmm. that has my, my grandfather started in 45. My grandma who's 94 still works there every day. So if I oh wasn't being, you know, growing up in the nursing home down the street, I was growing up in the furniture store. So all <laughs> I ever saw was small business and working with seniors, you well, know, and then when my mom went into business for herself, that's where I spent every day of my, my summers after camp and, and every day after school, you know, with having a single mom, and I don't have siblings. So uh-huh. that's where I was with her. And uh, so mm-hmm. I just got exposure from a really young age, how to bring joy to seniors. And what was at my disposal was singing. <laughs> so uh-huh. it was a pretty unique introduction. So you were you singing to seniors then early, early on? Oh, definitely. Oh, my oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> what was oh, that I was like? putting on shows at five. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Oh, I loved it. Oh, my gosh. I remember the first musical I ever saw was a local high school production of Fiddler on the Roof. Uh-huh. And somehow I managed to which to go back a little bit even further than that is I grew up in a very rural farm town where there was like no multiculturalism at all. Uh-huh. So I honestly had never even uh, had any exposure to the Jewish faith or, or traditions. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, I know like all this Hebrew and Yiddish because <laughs> I just memorized every line of Fiddler <laughs> on the Roof. <laughs> oh, that's and hilarious. I, just, I had every song memorized. I have, we have these VHSs of me going around to anyone who would listen singing If I Were a Rich Man at five <laughs> years old. I just, 
<laughs> it was preparing me for South Florida. It really was. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You've so arrived at I, ground I zero. Guess, yeah. <laughs> like I said, anyone who, who would listen, as, as you know, working in um, aging communities, and, and I see, too, now working in communities and facilities is when kids come in and they want to sing and perform. Like, that's the best. Yeah. You know? So I had, yeah. an, I had a very engaged audience, which I was really excited about as an only child. <laughs> <laughs> well, I read on, on your website that music therapy began as a profession in the 1940s after yes. the benefits of music were observed in veterans' hospitals after World War yes. II, which is fascinating. Can yes. you tell us a little bit more about that and the history of music For therapy? sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. The VA hospitals have always, I mean, from the very beginning, been such strong advocates of music therapy. So as veterans were coming back from World War One and World War II, and, and they were in these hospitals, uh, musicians wanted to give back. They wanted to give up their time in some way to help out. And so they would go and volunteer their time in the VA hospitals. And the staff started recognizing there's some real physiological things happening here. You know, depression is decreased. People are coming out of their rooms. They're less isolated. Cardiac rates are more stabilized. Breathing rates are slowing down, becoming more stabilized. People mm. are, are going home quicker. Like, there's got to be a reason why this is happening. It's not just entertainment. Mm-hmm. You know, something real is it's happening here, which is wonderful, but we had to get these individuals trained. Mm-hmm. We can't just have volunteers off the street being at bedside you know, dealing with such vulnerable populations as especially, you know, veterans are with the PTSD and all the things that are going on. Right. So that's when the first um, college program started, I believe in the mid to late 40s. I can't remember exactly. And from there, they just started compiling all of this research. And now we are in, I believe, 74 different university colleges and universities in the United States. And our field just reached over 7,000 wow. um, board-certified music therapists. So wow. for us, that's huge. But in the scheme of medical professions, mm-hmm. you know, a field that's only been around since the late 40s, early 50s and has 7,000 members isn't that big. Right, right. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, one of the things I heard someone say once, I thought was interesting was, you know, music therapy, as far as the medical profession, it's the best kept secret, but mm-hmm. you never want to be the best kept secret, right. <laughs> you know, right. you want people to know about you. So being in VA hospitals um, has been a huge thing for gaining visibility mm-hmm. for music therapy. Um, and there is like, you know, West Palm Beach, Miami, the you know, local VAs, they have a full-time music therapist um, on staff mm-hmm. that works. Uh, with, you know, PTSD support groups and then the hospice units and the uh, mental behavioral health units. I mean, it's it's really not only, like, recognized but celebrated as a, as a treatment that's really helping these veterans as mm-hmm. they're, you know, transitioning and, and receiving the care that they need. Mm-hmm. And I hate to keep jumping back, but I wondered if anyone in your family has benefited from music therapy and if there was a personal reason why you went into this line of work. You talked about sort of loving the the performance aspect of it, which is great. Um, Just to sort of say, you know, how close to home is this for you? And why why did you go down this path? What was it about hospice in particular that was a draw for you? You're good at this. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's an excellent question. You know, it's funny because, you know, being, you know, hosting my own show, being an interviewer for so long now, I uh, am not used to being on this side of the question, <laughs> but, but but this is cool. It's making me think about really my, my roots and, and what did get me into it. And, you know, when I was young, my dad passed 
and he had been sick for a while, and I was seven when he passed. Mm. And before that, so I should, I mean, talking about piano lessons and not really succeeding at that, but trying dance and sports and all these other things, but I wouldn't sing in front of, other than, you know, just kind of goofing around and doing stuff for mom at work and things like that. I never thought that was something I could really do mm-hmm. to stand up and, and to perform formally. It was more something fun playtime, you know, mm-hmm. and actually she would take me to auditions because she'd see how I, I'd have fun at home and I would freeze. I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, after my dad passed someone, I think, I think I, I guess my mom must have showed me the song in my piano book from that Midler song from a distance, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and talking about looking at the world. And I was very into this idea of heaven because, mm-hmm. you know, that was uh, my connection as a little kid. And you're still at six and seven, you're in that magical thinking, right. you know, when right. you lose someone. And I was really into this idea of heaven because that's where dad lived. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, but this song was just so important to me. And so I asked at my next piano recital if I could not play piano and I could sing that for my dad. Oh. And and I just was like hooked after that. Mm-hmm. I just, I loved it. But again, that idea of being able to use your voice in that way and express yourself in that way was, um, it, it, did, it did wonders for me. Honestly, I think mm-hmm. it probably helped me cope with with dealing with that loss for many years and still does, you mm-hmm. know? Sure. I think that drew me to hospice care. I think working with seniors, but also this idea of not wanting people to be alone, you know, at the end of life and to have that support was, it always has been a pretty big deal to me. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, the focus of your practice, as I understand it, is on seniors who have neurodegenerative disorders. Is that correct? Well, that is my personal focus. Okay. Sure, sure. So, uh, we have right now, um, I'm actually, after this, I have the wonderful fortune of getting to post a brand new full-time position. We're going to be up to, oh, I think six full-time positions now. We have a couple part-time therapists and a few subcontractors. So we have this amazing opportunity to learn from each other, and we all specialize in different areas. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. while my specialty is you know, working with seniors and there's degenerative disorders, which I'll get into in a moment. Mm-hmm. We have others that specialize working with children um, on the autistic spectrum, mm-hmm. others that specialize in working with individuals going through the addiction recovery process. So it's pretty cool. We, we work with clients, again, you know, all through the age cycle and, and all different stages. But my kind of focus, and it kind of grew during my time working at hospice care, was working with these individuals who have these life-limiting neurologic disorders that affect particularly movement and memory. Mm -hmm. So I really love the idea that through these music therapy sessions and the process of making live music together, I can give control and choice-making back to Mm -hmm. individuals who have lost so much of their independence, of their even ability to decide when they eat a meal or when they get close and Mm -hmm. when they get bathed. Mm -hmm. And just because of the circumstances of their life, if I can just give them one choice of what instrument they're going to play, or if they even want to play an instrument or what song they want to hear and why it's important to them, I feel like it's a huge way that I'm able to, for at least a moment, humanize (laughs) the situation and say, hey, you still get to make this choice. And I want this to be about you. I'm honored to share it with you, but it's not about me. That's really the biggest difference between entertainment and music therapy is 
it's not about you applauding me. It's about how can I use music as a medium to help you, you know, help you express yourself, help you share your story, help connect you, help give you that uh, autonomy back. I mean, that's what really has drawn me to working with this population is just that, um, you know, music is oftentimes non-threatening. Right. It's, it's familiar. It, it changes your environment. Right. And suddenly you're not in this day treatment center or this facility or, you know, in this hospital room. Um, you are at your wedding where you, where you danced, you know, with your husband to this song. Right. And, right. and in that moment, and that's just, to me, I, I, I could not be spending my day in a better way <laughs> than be sharing um, <laughs> well, with someone. I know that you're not a neurologist, but I'm guessing you've got enough experience in this field to be able to answer this question in some way. How does, sure. mu- how does music act on the brain? How does it affect the brain? Sure. Oh, wow. It, the first thing I want to share is that music is one of the only stimulus that activates the entire brain. Oh, wow. There's been a lot of studies that show that do a brain scan for someone who's listening to music and just listening to it, not even actively engaging in it necessarily, just listening to it, it lights up every single area of the brain. So that means if I'm working with a stroke survivor or uh, you know, someone living with Parkinson's on a speech goal, they might not be able to speak, but because the other parts of their brain are activated that allow them to sing and to vocalize, uh, we're able to kind of fire those neurons, get those neurons going, and then use entrainment, basically, is what we call it, to influence, I guess, of mm-hmm. using the music to help someone sing, to move it to their speech centers. Okay. And uh, one really cool example of this is, and, and your listeners uh, and, and yourself maybe are familiar with this, but the story of Congresswoman Gabrielle Gifford, who suffered this you know, mm-hmm. tragic accident and the brain injury as a result of a gunshot wound. She went to a neurologic hospital in Texas that has one of the premier um, neurologic music therapy programs in the country. Hmm. And they were struggling as far as speech therapy goes and, and things like that. So we called them the music therapist. And they said, well, let's just start from the very beginning. Like, what do you like? You know, what, what gets you excited? What makes you happy? Because it's so easy to get depressed and isolated when you can't do the things you used to do. Mm-hmm. And um, she loved 80s music. So they just, music therapists like, let's just have fun with it. And started with, girls just want to have fun. Mm-hmm. Well, she <laughs> sang every word. You know, wow. she perked up and she's singing. And so the rest of the staff is kind of go, we have not gotten verbalizations from her. What is going on here? This is amazing. Right. So, so if she started, didn't, just to interrupt you for a moment, if, if, you, if, she, sure. if, if you hadn't had any verbalization from her, was it her husband who told the staff what music she liked or how does she express that? That is excellent question. So I don't remember exactly in this specific, but in my work, I can tell you that I either will kind of go from someone's demographics, and then I'll kind of rely on nonverbal communication if Uh that's an option. So our strongest musical memories are those that we have from our late 20s and early 30s, which scares me because I would (laughs) rather be listening to classic rock than Justin Bieber. So (laughs) I hope my brain acts differently when I get to this stage. But Do you mind um, sharing your age? I'm 30 years old. So (laughs) the music that I'm listening to now or that's on the radio now is I don't want to be stuck with this 60 years from now. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, I grew up listening to Beatles and Led Zeppelin and uh-huh. Eagles and Cat Stevens, and I mean, right that on. is what I, I would be very happy listening to that the rest of my life. So uh-huh. I really, I'm just trying to get that. In. I'm like, I know my musical memories are forming. I'm going to get as much of that right. in. As <laughs> You've got to get that into your brain. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, it's possible that the therapist kind of went from that idea, what was she listening to, and then maybe was able to read nonverbal cues or very possible that her husband also provided that right. um, information. Right. Okay. And so started using music as a way to, okay, we know she can sing. We know these are familiar melodies to her. How can we start inserting words that she's going to actually need to use into these melodies? Huh. So different huh. things like, cool. I need a glass of water. I'd like to use the restroom. I'm hungry. I'm in pain. Setting it to a melody, you know, again, start, maybe start using a familiar melody and then kind of changing it to a melody that would actually reflect normal voice inflections. Uh-huh. So when we speak, we speak basically in a melody. It's, uh-huh. it's natural. You just hear how my voice kind of naturally rises at certain places to make a point. Uh-huh. So kind of slowly moving these musical phrases into statements. Uh-huh. And the first time she was able to actually tell her husband, I love you, was during one of these music therapy sessions, moving that from a musical phrase oh, to wow. a statement. Wow. Pretty cool stuff. And, and because of that... And her experience with that and the positive responses she had to it, uh, it really kind of put music therapy in the spotlight a little bit, right. which was which, which was really neat because these things are happening. It happened to happen to someone who has media access, you know, sure. but these things are happening every day. I mean, I get to see these things every day, which is yeah. incredible, but it, it, I just think it's one of the best examples we have of seeing the brain really respond to music in such an incredible way. And it's part of a rehabilitation process, which you know, in hospice care, we're more focused on the comfort element and the quality of life. Mm-hmm. The fact that music and rhythm can be involved in the rehabilitation of speech and gait and cognition is just so powerful. Wow. How does music therapy help people with autism? Can you give an example of that? Sure, sure. So again, this is not my specialty. <laughs> I would say, you know, I have other therapists on my team that work specifically with this population. But in my limited experience, what I found is that when you're asking a child or, or an individual on the spectrum to verbalize, it is very frustrating. Or, or even to make nonverbal contact as far as eye contact or shaking hands or a high five, things like that, it can be very uncomfortable. So if you're uncomfortable, just think of it in any situation. If you're uncomfortable and you don't have the words to express yourself, you're going to act out. Mm-hmm. in another way, mm-hmm. um, because how else can you show, I'm not comfortable with this. Mm-hmm. So what I think, why I think music is so impactful with this population is it provides a nonverbal communication. So now we can actually have a conversation sitting at opposite ends of a piano mm-hmm. or sitting on opposite ends of a drum and doing a call and response that way. And again, in my limited experience, I've seen such powerful things happening. I was working with a, a kiddo who was not comfortable with touch, who did not have any um, verbalizations. So we would start. I'd start at the low end, he'd start at the high. And I would start to slowly, with my fingers, walk it on the piano. Hmm. And he would come from the other end until we'd meet in the middle. His hand would actually be on mine, and then we would cross. Wow. And we would kind of work on this every week to the point where he would come up and sit either right next to me or on my lap on the piano bench, ready to play piano together. Wow. Uh, so music was really the vehicle that helped forge that human connection, which is crucial to all of us. Or, you know, a call and response with a drum, 
you're really angry and you don't have the words to express it. You need something. And drum is a great way to do that, to bang it out on the drum. And then to hear that validated back to you that I hear you. I hear that you're angry. I get it. And um, be able to share a conversation in that way. That's one for me. I mean, there's a million ways. It's also an organizational thing. You know, music is very structured. You know, it's four beats to a measure, eight, you know, measures in a phrase, whatever it is. It's predictable. You know, when a song is going to end, you don't have to be a music theory genius to know it's going to end on the one chord and to listen for it. (laughs) You know, and, and kids that crave this structure and organization yeah. and the schedules and all the things that bring them comfort. Music is a perfect fit. Yeah, I never would so have thought about the, the structure yeah. aspect of it. Yeah. And so you, I know that you work with Alzheimer's patients. If you can come sure. up with an example of an Alzheimer's patient who benefited from music therapy and what, how you went about working with this person or anyone with dementia. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I do... You know, when I was in my hospice work, I did a lot of individual sessions. Now I do a lot of group work, mostly in memory care centers mm-hmm. or adult daycare centers, things like that. And um, there's one gentleman who was in uh, one of my memory care groups and, you know, head down, uh, very advanced in his, his diagnosis. I didn't know if he could talk. I didn't even really know if he would rouse, but I wanted if he's, you know, going to respond to anything, it might be music. So bring him to the group. And even if he's not able to hold an instrument or sing along, at least he's receiving it. It's in his environment, this mm-hmm. music. Mm-hmm. And so his wife started coming at that time to visit him, and then she'd come find him in the music therapy group room. And um, it was really cool to see her get engaged. She'd help me pass out instruments, and she would share things with me about him hmm. that I wasn't able to know before. And one of those things was that he was a drummer. Oh. Like, okay, very cool. So... I tried with hand drums. It just was kind of awkward with the way that his body was kind of positioned and ultimately kind of frozen in his jerry chair. So I said, well, I've got this paddle drum. It's really light. And then we can use like a stick for a mallet. But uh-huh. because his hand would have trouble gripping, I put like a, like an OT, occupational therapy grip on the stick uh-huh. so that it would just kind of fit in his hand and really kind of stick to his hand more that he wouldn't have to close it right, so much. right. And as soon as we kind of found the right fit for that between either her holding the paddle drum and him holding the stick or whatever way it worked out that day, I would say, okay, let's call him Sam for the sake of the conversation. Okay, Sam, I want to start out this like jazz song. Think like Frank Sinatra, old blue eyes. So maybe just like a slow kind of 4-4 rhythm. And I'm going to start on the guitar. I want you to pick it up for me, and we're all going to follow you. Yeah, I didn't know what was going to happen, but he uh-huh. was a drummer, so I wanted to speak to him like a drummer, yeah. like, like a band leader would, you know? <laughs> and um, and he would pick it up, whether we were doing 4-4, a 2-4 march, a 3-4 waltz, whatever it was, and he would keep that rhythm for the entire 50-minute session. That's incredible. <laughs> and this went on for months. I mean, it, it was a couple times in there that maybe he wasn't as responsive, but for the most part, he would come in head down, eyes closed. Even if he never lifted his head up necessarily, he would drum. And mm-hmm. it wasn't someone holding his hand doing it for him. He was doing it. Mm-hmm. He was synced into that rhythm. And it was so cool for his wife. It was so cool for me. I'm just thinking as a, with my neurologic background, I'm like, this is awesome. This is why I do this, you know. Uh-huh. Um, but for his wife to see <laughs> that part of him come back. Yeah. Um, every week. I mean, they were there every week, and uh, unfortunately, he did about uh, two months ago pass away. But mm-hmm. you know, I got the opportunity with some of the other facilities that to go to the service, and we walk in, and the wife is like, "That's her. 
that's Bree, that's the music therapist, that's who caught dad drumming. Oh, that's <laughs> you know? so cute. How rewarding wow. for you, huh? It really is. And for, again, it's it's cool to see this and it's cool to give this, you know, or be a part of music, you know, uh, giving these quality of life back to these individuals. But again, for, when the family can be involved and see that, especially when working with individuals with Alzheimer's and dementia, I just think that is is just such a special bond to share. Mm-hmm. Well, so when you go into these facilities, are you able to give training to the staff so they can continue what you've started and, you know, keep it going? Do you, can you train family members? Talk about that piece of it, because obviously you can't be there all the time and there's got to be an endpoint for you. How do you keep so, it going? you know, we recommend uh, at least weekly programs to, you know, keep it as therapeutically efficient as possible. And we recommend keeping the groups fairly small. Mm-hmm. So, again, to structure it differently than entertainment, where you would just kind of bring everybody in to enjoy music, right. I say, you know what, you, you've got a lot of great things going on at this place. You've got bingo, you've got sing-along, you've got all this stuff. I want you to pick those 10 to 12 individuals who really aren't responding to these great programs that you're offering for whatever reason, and let's have music therapy with them, a more individualized approach, where we're really focused on those you know, cognitive, social, physical, communicative goals. So... Even though it is ongoing, yeah, again, obviously we're not there all the time. There is one facility we're able to be in several hours a week where we, most mornings, we'll start like a music and movement group to get everyone, you know, awake and alert and ready for lunch, ready to sit up straight and digest their food better and have conversation and basically just have a great day. And then at night we come back at Mm -hmm. about 6.30 and help them transition from dinner to bed because a lot of individuals are days and nights are flipped and it's very confusing. So, okay, I finished dinner. Why am I not going home? I don't understand. Why is my husband not picking me up? So having music is kind of, it's it's literally physically in between the dining room and and the bedroom hallway um, as a transition is so awesome. But that's, that's a one situation out of the, you know, 50 plus places we are that because of their budget or whatever, we're able to do that. That's not always the case. So, um, you know, while, Someone may not be able to provide live music in the way that we do. And, and again, we really emphasize, at least in music therapy programs, that most of our music is live, so it's able to match the mood or the, the physical limitations or whatever's going on in the group. We're able to adapt the rhythm. Mm-hmm. But one thing we can do is help the staff and help family members understand what music is going to be better for certain times. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what music is going to be more stimulative for the mornings, what music is going to be more sedative at nighttime. And, and again, everybody's individual. Everybody is, is different. And another thing, too, is to know, hey, I could tell that Mr. Smith was very emotional during God Bless America. Is it a possible that he might have something coming back from his time in World War II at that point? Just, you know, I know that patriotic music is very popular to share in group settings. Just be mindful of his response to that. Maybe if someone could kind of sit with him during that, you know, just to kind of help let the staff know, you know, when we see certain responses, mm-hmm. whether it's emotional or, or physical. So we do want to obviously be a part of a care team and share what we think is working really well with others. So, hey, this instrument is extremely, you know, the sound is pleasing. This ocean drum is really stimulative in a positive way for this individual. They like watching it. They like touching it. Maybe this would be something to consider, you know, things like that to kind of, increase the, you know, like you said, the benefits as much as possible when we're only there sometimes, you know, once a week. Mm-hmm. So. What has surprised you about the folks you've worked with, if anything, and what are some of the biggest challenges you face? 
You know, I think I am always surprised by that that singing response from someone, you know, when family has told me I haven't heard mom speak mm-hmm. in weeks. Mm-hmm. And even though it's something I've seen almost daily for eight years, every time it happens, it is so incredible to me. And some other things are like, you know, working with individuals who are very near the end of life, just I know it because I tell people I know hearing is the last sense to go. But it's incredible to see them, you know, they're not eating, they're not drinking. I don't think they'll know you're here. I mean, I've had so many people that we would come in at this moment and they'd say, they aren't letting go. You know, I can tell they're not quite at peace. And I'd say, you know, what is, tell me about that. Tell me about your relationship. Tell me about how music might be special in your relationship. And I've seen people let go. I mean, Hmm. the ultimate letting go at, at the last chord of their wedding song. Wow. Just things like that that are like so... To be in the room where that is happening, where literally someone is giving that gift, a family member, a friend is giving that gift of it's okay to go through music and that person is receiving it, it will always just be so special um, And it's so, it's so dignified, too, in a way, isn't it? I it mean, is. I don't know if you've heard of, like, the five wishes, you know, here, if I can no longer communicate my needs to you, this is where, this is the food I want to eat, this is the you know, clothes I want to wear, things like that. Mm-hmm. And so, at, you know, at House of Care, we have the five musical wishes. Like, if I can no longer communicate with you, here's what I want to hear. It's such a big part of creating that environment. When I can no longer tell you myself, and maybe family isn't in the room, and I have actually kind of a funny story about that. I, I get in kind of the habit of making these assumptions because I've done it for so long. So I know, okay, look at the census sheet. I'm going in to see this woman who I know is in, in an acute care situation in the hospital, late 90s, or, or whatever the situation is, family is around, so uh, Jewish faith, so I've got my, like, sunrise, sunset, and mm-hmm. Shabbat Shalom, and all this stuff I'm coming in with, and family's kind of standing around the room, and I said, you know what, could we maybe share some music to comfort mom, and you know, that'd be all right, and maybe if you want to stand around and hold her hand, and what do you think would be special or comforting to her? right now and you know think about what she would enjoy on a day not like today you know it would still be comforting to her now and again I've got running in my head what I think they're going to say and I said do you know Ricky Martin's she bangs (laughs) (laughs) I said what okay or live in La Vida Mocha either one if you could she really really likes Ricky Martin if you could do one of those songs that would be Wow. And I said, if you give me five minutes to learn this song, I will be right back. <laughs> that's what we did. And she did actually pass that day. Oh I my mean, gosh. for whatever it was. And I, I learned in that moment, wow. do not make assumptions. <laughs> wow. So are you going in with a musical instrument yourself? I know you sing. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So I primarily work with guitar and voice. Mm-hmm. Um, some therapists do work with keyboard, piano. Because we're traveling to see different patients, both individually and group, for me, that would just be almost impossible to lug around a keyboard. Plus, as I mentioned in the beginning, nobody wants to hear me on the piano. It is not therapeutic. (laughs) 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 I can do my voice warm-ups for my Parkinson's group. That is where it ends. So the guitar is an extension of myself. I don't go anywhere without it. In groups, I'll bring a lot of percussion instruments drums and accessory percussion, again, ranging in what's going to meet someone's comfort level. Mm-hmm. How did so, you learn yeah, La Vida we, Loca on the spot like that, or whatever Ricky Martin song you sang? God bless 
technology. I mean, I just keep my cell phone in my back pocket uh-huh. and I look up the chords. Oh, I see. And it's free and simple and look up, you know, cool. just Google it. Right. And the chords will pop right up. And generally, they're usually and pretty s- easy. Start living and able to kind of <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So you said <laughs> One of my favorite stories. <laughs> yeah, that's a great story. So you said you're in about 50 different places. Tell us more about where you, you see the, the, the Institute going. What are your goals? Where are you? What sort of settings you serve? Absolutely. You know, as I mentioned a little earlier about serving the entire lifespan, I re- really do. Yesterday, I got the opportunity to go out with some of my staff and do some observation, which I love to do because I get so busy. I, I am in the field a couple hours a week, but mostly I manage the program. So when I get a chance to really go out and get back in touch with some of these groups I haven't seen in a while, I just love it. And one of my favorites is this group for babies with Down syndrome. Hmm. And their moms and their well siblings come and it's just a place where there is just no disability that exists. It is just music. It is wow. just how, how we all bond through singing and playing instruments and moving our hands to music and moving a parachute to music. And it's almost like the, the equalizer. I mean, it is so fun. You cannot leave that room without a big smile on your face. Mm-hmm. It's the best. So, you know, I get an op- yeah, had an opportunity to go there. And then my next group, I went to observe a therapist, you know, working at an adult daycare center. And the same amount of joy there. So really, throughout the life cycle, uh, we do work with children um, in school settings, children in foster care settings, after-school community programs. Mm -hmm. And we work with teens, young adults, adults and older adults in addiction recovery, which has become one of our biggest and fastest-growing clients. I think Hmm. we're in about 20 different recovery centers throughout Martin, Palm Beach, and Broward County right now. Wow. And um, just some of the amazing results that I've witnessed, you know, firsthand or heard from my therapist as far as the group cohesion that occurs when this group of individuals who are going through obviously a very difficult time and embracing this huge change that's just kind of, it's going to change their life. It's going to change their relationships and, and, you know, how they carry on the rest of their lives, come together and in all different places and stages of this recovery and maybe write a song together or record mm-hmm. music together or, you know, analyze music together. It's just, again, it's something when music comes into this space, it's something that reaches all of us, regardless of our background, our circumstances, we can relate to it. Mm-hmm. Yes. The cliche goes, it's the universal language. Yeah. Um, For folks who don't live in Florida, is this the sort of thing that can be replicated? Do you have modules? I know that you're actively sort of engaged with staff and family members, but I'm wondering if this is something that listeners can replicate on their own in some way. For sure. So we always recommend that you you work in a, in a music therapy program, you work with a board-certified music therapist, and we are everywhere. So if it is something, cool. if you're listening and you're a, a caregiver or you are a professional caregiver or personal and you think this would be good for those that you love or someone in your life, reach out. If you can go to uh, the AMTA website, which is the American Music Therapy Association, uh, musictherapy.org, uh-huh. um, and find out some more information there about music therapy in your area. And you can always contact me because I'm, I pride myself on staying very connected to music therapists throughout the country. And, and that's one of the reasons I love having my radio program is to be a resource mm-hmm. uh, for those even outside of our area. If anyone wants to reach out to me, you can email me directly at bree, B-R-E-E, at P-B, 
mti.com for Palm Beach Music Therapy Institute or connect on Facebook or Twitter, again, the same BBMTI or Palm Beach Music Therapy Institute. I love connecting people with professionals in their area that can be the best resource. And that's what I'd recommend to start. It might not be in your budget at that time to hire a music therapist or mm-hmm. to have one come to your home on a regular basis, but at least it's a place to start the conversation of how music can be therapeutic and beneficial mm-hmm. for your loved one. All right, tell us about your radio show. So my show is currently uh, locally here in South Florida from Miami to Melbourne on 1470 AM, but in nine days, we are moving to 95.3 FM, which is really exciting. But we also are on iHeartRadio, and we live video stream each week, again, on the uh, Facebook page at Palm Beach Music Therapy Institute. And it's the name of the show, because it is supported through the business, is Palm Beach Music Therapy Connection. And it's all about connecting the audience with creative resources in the community, creative solutions to challenges that come up in uh, education and healthcare. So I'll have different, you know, music, art, or dance movement therapists on, massage and aromatherapists, uh, musicians that use their art to give to others. Mm -hmm. Um, We have different individuals who talk about small business marketing because a lot of people who are in these fields are young and we don't have any business training at all. So it's kind of two-part. It's a resource for those who want to learn more about the creative arts, but it's also a resource for those who are in these fields and, you know, maybe are in one of these states where there's really no other music or art therapist practicing and they don't have that support. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to be a support for them as well, all the way from, from South Florida. So I have a lot of my guests come into the studio, but I also have a lot of people call in from around the country. And even I've had guests call in from Malaysia, you know, and wow. all over the world to mm-hmm. share about what is going on internationally as the creative arts therapies continue to grow in in recognition and become celebrated as really meaningful ways of reaching people. I think we are kind of, not not that we ever say that music therapy uh, would replace medication at all, but I think that a lot of people are moving away from this idea of over-medication. So to have a complementary therapy to bring into the mix to try something else that not only maybe it's bringing comfort, but also really bringing back these special parts of our lives that we tend to forget about or don't utilize when we're, we're dealing with trauma and illness. Mm-hmm. Bree, I want to give you a chance to offer any last thoughts before we go. Do you have any last thoughts for our listeners? I just want to thank you, Jana, for this opportunity. Nothing revitalizes me more than a chance to to share about what I do and to educate and advocate for music therapy. I'm I'm very passionate about that. You know, the biggest question that I usually get, and I imagine that maybe some of your listeners might have, is is this reimbursable through insurance? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, um, you know, in the state of Florida, we're not recognized as an allied health profession yet. Mm -hmm. But that's something I'm really active in going to Tallahassee to fight for licensure or a registry that would just increase access our services for people on Medicare and children who are receiving individualized education plans through their special education at school. So if you're listening and you're interested in finding more about that, each state is different. We are nationally recognized, but each state is different as far as reimbursement goes. So again, any questions, you can always feel free to reach out to me. Again, my name is Bree. Email bree at pbmti.com or reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter, and I would love to connect with any questions or comments that your listeners might have. 
Bree Bynan, she's a board-certified music therapist and the managing partner of the Palm Beach Music Therapy Institute. We'll have lots of links on our website to this fabulous organization that provides wellness through music. Bree, thanks so much for being on the show. It was great to have you. Thank you, Jana. Take care. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another new episode. In the meantime, if you don't want to miss any episodes, head on over to the AgeWise website. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z dot com. And subscribe to the podcast. We've got lots of great interviews and links to information you can use. The AgeWise podcast is produced by me, Jana Panaritis. So if you'd like to be on the show or just tell us what you think about it, send an email to Jana at AgeWise.com. Remember, every caregiver has a story. I want to hear yours.